that may or may not appear in this week's parsha. Okay? But first I want to tell you a story. It's a difficult story. And uh, you can find this written up in Yaffa Eliach's book, Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust. I think I've mentioned this to you before. It's a powerful book to read. It's a great Tisha B'Av book. A very inspiring book. Uh, it's a good thing to take with you in Ben Ismanim. I have a couple copies in my office if anybody wants to borrow them. The Blue Rebbe of Israel Spira found himself in the Anushka Road Camp. The Anushka Road Camp might be less known than the death camps, Auschwitz and Sabibor and Chelno and Treblinka, but it was a, its own little patch of hell. You could fill an ocean with the tears that represent the different stories of pain that came out of the Anushka Road Camp. And the Blue Rebbe was there for a good period of time. And occasionally he would tell stories. And there was a particular story that he would always share whenever he was at a bris milah. They were on a work detail. They were out in a forest. And they were chopping down trees for the Nazi empire. And the Nazis, you know, they couldn't just enslave you, right? It wasn't enough to make you suffer. They wanted to humiliate you. Anything to make the torture greater, right? So the Blue Rebbe was a very tall man. And they paired him up with a very short man. And they had a saw. It's like something you see in the movies. It has two wooden handles at either end. And you pull it back and forth across the tree. And that's how you chop down the tree. But because he was so tall and the other fellow was so short. So every time he pulled, the other fellow had to go up on his tippy toes. And every time the other fellow pulled, he had to bend over. And so after an hour of this, your back is on fire, your legs are on fire. It was extremely painful. And they're in the middle of this work deal. If you stop and pause at the wrong moment when a guard happens to be walking by, they could beat you senseless. Your life was constantly in the hands of the whims of the guards. And they're sawing back and forth, and they hear the horrible cries of children. And they look in the distance, and they see there's a... There's a crowd. There's something going on, people moving on the road. And the fellow who was with Rabbi Saul Spira said, it's a children's action. They've gathered children from one of the local villages. And they're taking them off. They weren't taking them to play in the garden. And the cries that you were hearing with the children and their mothers, we can't even comprehend and they're watching this, and, and their hearts are heavy, and the tears are flowing from their eyes. You, you could not be moved by such a moment. You could not be challenged by such a moment. Where is a Kaddish Baruch Hu? What's going on? And all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, a woman appears. And she looks like something is off. And her eyes look like they're on fire. And, and you have to read the story as Yafa Eliyach t- tells it, she wrote down as it was told to her by the Blues of Rebbe. And the woman is looking at, at, the, at the Blues of Rebbe. And she looks at him and she says, Give me a knife. Do you have a knife? Now you see a woman. She's coming from a children's octagon. Clearly, she just lost her children. I don't know. 
She wants to take her own life. You could understand that. And the Blue Jew Rebbe says, says her something along the lines, you know, the life we have is given to us as a gift. Don't give them that, the benefit of that moment and, and whatever else, right? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a guard comes forward. And he starts screaming at them. And she turns around and she looks at the guard. And the unmistakable outline of a pocket knife is in the tunic pocket of the guard. And she looks at him and steps forward. True story. And she holds out her and says, give me that knife. Now, you understand. You're an SS guard. Or whatever it is, a Polish guard. And a Jewish woman is standing there and she wants a knife. You must be so shocked by this. You don't even know what to do with that. Maybe he also figured that she wants to kill herself. Maybe he found that's a great idea. It'll save us a little trouble. So without even thinking, he pulls out his pocket knife and he gives it to her. And she opens up the pocket knife and she bends down. And the Blues Rebbe suddenly notices that there's a bundle at her feet. And in the bundle is a baby. And she takes the knife and it's clearly a newborn baby. And she gives the baby or the body of the baby a bris on the spot. And she lifts up this baby and she looks up to heaven and she says to him, she says to Akash Baruch I guess, you have given me, entrusted me with this child. I give you back this child as perfected according to the law Kedat Moshe Yisrael. And she looks at the guard and she puts the bundle in his hands. And he, without thinking, stretches out his hands, he's holding the baby, and she walks off. And the Blue Jew finishes telling the story and he says, not since Avram Avinu has a moment of a bris bila been as holy, as high as this moment. Now, I've thought about that story many times. And by the way, just as an addendum, there were a group of archaeologists that went to the Chelno death camp. Chelno was one, one of the six killing centers. And they were excavating, because much of Chelno is gone. There's, there's not much left there. There's a barn, there's a, but we know what happened there's, a, there's an open field full of fragments of bones because they ground the bones. It's a horrible, horrible place. And when they started to excavate, they excavated the ground outside of the center where they were held before they were taken to their deaths. And they found unbelievable things. And one of the things that they found was a brismila knife. It's mamash, a silver brismila knife. And you wonder, what on earth is somebody doing? You're taken from the ghetto. You have moments to think about what you're taking your loud one suitcase. You take a brismila knife. And there are different theories as to what that brismila knife was doing in Chelno. You know, one theory is there was a moel. And this was a parnasa. And he had a mitzvah. He didn't want to leave it. Can you imagine? You're, 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 you're in such a horrible, terrible place. It's clear there is no future. And someone has a brismila knife. Because if a baby is born, then to declare them a Jew, how could you believe in such a future in such a moment? Impossible. Impossible to understand. Why do I bring up this story? Because in this week's Parsha, possibly, we'll get to that in a second, 
So a woman gives birth. I'm going to put aside for a moment that word tazria, zera, to, to fertilize the world, right? To bring a child into the world. And she has a baby voice. There's a whole discussion of purity and impurity, too much you'll let it. Put that aside. And that child on the eighth day will be circumcised. The mitzvah of Mila. And I was thinking, because this is the last night of Zman, and because we did a farewell kumzitz and everything else that we're doing, so we didn't have a chance to do the mitzvah cheer. And I thought, you know what? I'll give you a mitzvah cheer and I'll disguise it as a parsha cheer. Right? Or I'll give you a parsha cheer and I'll disguise it as a mitzvah cheer. And, and I wanted to talk with you a little bit about the mitzvah of bris Mila because it's a very difficult mitzvah. What is this mitzvah? What does it mean to do a bris? Right? Why is this here? And I'll tell you an interesting anecdote. Uh, many years ago, I came across a video, um, and maybe if you're interested in Kaitzman, I can show it to you. As part of, we're going to have a series of discussions on the halacha and on the difficulties of intermarriage and who is a Jew and Gerut conversion, etc. Understanding that topic before you get to college campus. But um, there, was a, um, there was a program that was run by the reform, or perhaps reconstructionist movement in America, because it was a reform movement, because they had an interesting problem, right? You know, um, without getting into all of the histories, we'll get to that when we talk about it then, um, the reform movement, you know, there, there, there are different positions, not within Allah, but the different positions of the Jewish community about intermarriage, if a Jew marries a non-Jew. And you could understand philosophically that one person would say, you know, Jews should marry Jews, it's halacha, you give up something beautiful, and we'll talk about that. But you could also understand the position if somebody says, what a beautiful idea to share Jewish beauty with the rest of the world, and if you marry somebody who's not Jewish, then, then the world, you know, a whole portion of the population that you get to meet through marriage, through family, okay. So the reform movement that took that position. And although there was no official governing body, halachic governing body of the reform movement for reasons that are practical, um, many reform rabbis, and now most reform rabbis, will perform an intermarriage. Okay, you know, if a Jewish uh, boy wants to marry a Catholic woman, no problem, they'll do the marriage. And uh, by the way, that's great because it doubles the membership in your show, right? But they started to realize that it was creating all sorts of challenges. Okay, because you fall in love, you want to marry somebody, but we're going to talk about this on Shabbat when we have a discussion about what the recipe is for finding and building, you know, sort of the right relationship. Um, one of the sort of the values of, of, of you know, of, of a healthy marriage is that you share to some degree the common values. And there are many things you don't talk about before you get married. You know, uh, so many things that I don't, I didn't have any clue about my wife when I married her. You get to learn it over 30, 40 years, maybe 60 or 70, hopefully. So now you're a couple and you haven't talked about these things and you have a baby. And you know, all of the differences begin to come out as you raise children and they started to discover that the rate of divorce in intermarriage, at least in the reform movement, was extremely high. So there was a rabbi who said, let's see if we can help these couples. So they created a support group for intermarried couples and the goal was to help these couples work out their differences. And they made a video. They brought these couples together and made a video of the dialogue that they were having 
about their issues. And in the midst of this video, there's, um, there's a, a fellow talking. I believe he was from Oregon, and he was like a farmer of some sort, right? strapping fellow. And he had married this Jewish girl who really looked like she came out of Brooklyn, out of a conservative home in Brooklyn. And they're talking about their challenges. And at one point, this guy from Oregon says, you know, like, I- I'm okay. Like, I- I- I'm not an anti-Semite. And, you know, I'm, I'm totally okay. You know, I love the Jewish people and I love my in-laws and all is great. And then we had a baby boy. And then my wife springs on me, like, by the way, in a few days, we got to do, and he goes, and he says, and I said to her, you want to do what to my son? Right? That's a pretty intense moment if you have no idea what's coming. What is this mitzvah? What is it we're doing here? You're going you're gonna to take a child and you're going to circumcise it? You're going to cut off a portion of, I mean, I don't even have to go there. Like, what is that about? And by the way, if somehow a child is born, I guess there's something wrong. There must be something wrong that we got to fix. So why did Hashem create a child that needs to be fixed? Like, what's that about? So I want to understand what a bris is. What is a bris all about? And there are two interesting halachos. There are many, but there are two interesting halachos that come specifically out of this, uh, out of this puzzle. Okay? The first, um, or I'll get to the second, Mikan, beyom on the eighth day he shall be circumcised, says the Yerushalmi in Kedushin, okay? In Perak Aleph Halach right? In the first chapter of the, of the Jerusalem Talmud, Mikan Sha'av Mitzvah Al Bno Lemula. There's a mitzvah, the fa- it's the father's mitzvah to circumcise his son. Now, if a person never had a circumcision, and you know, I don't know, this happened a lot with the Russian Aliyah, Jews got out of Russia for 70 years under communism. Many Jews didn't even know what a bris milah was. They had no idea that there was a mitzvah to get circumcised. And some of them, as they became closer to Judaism, suddenly realized there was a significant mitzvah that they had missed out on. So they wanted to be circumcised. Uh, we had a boy in our class when I was in eighth grade, and he came from a Russian family, and I guess the right Chabad rabbi got to him, I don't know, and he decided he was going to have a bris milah. I remember this vividly. And we didn't go to the bris milah. You know, I was in a hospital, and I guess for reasons it's a little different when you have a you know, 13, 14-year-old doing it. But we went to visit him to be in Vakir Chola. And I remember, like, I was in awe. Because I thought to myself, like, I believe it's a mitzvah, but if I was 13 and I'd never been circumcised, would you have the courage to do that, even with anesthesia or whatever? No way you wouldn't do that. Pardon? That may be, by the way, not anymore, but that's a whole other discussion, right? But we're not going to get into the Muslim world. Many, many Muslims do as babies now, but that's not the whole point. But, but fascinating. So what is this mitzvah, and why do we do this? What, what, what? So, so that's the first halacha, is a mitzvah on the father. And the Ramah makes it clear, it's not a mitzvah on the mother. The mother is not obligated to circumcise her son, the father is. Why is it a mitzvah on the father? Why is it mitzvah av al I'll tell you something else that's interesting about this. So, the Yerushalmi learns this from the Pasuk in our parasha. The Bavli, however, does not. Do you know where the Bavli learns the mitzvah of a father being obligated to circumcise his son? Avram Avinu. Right? That's a Pasuk in Brishit, right? Which is pretty clear. Find it. Right? In Parshat Lech Lecha. 
Okay? Um, one second. Ifreti otcha bimod maod. Zot priti asher tishmu beini uveinichem uvein zarachah acharacha. Himolachem kol zachar. You are obligated to circumcise each baby boy. That's a mitzvah Hashem gives to Avram. Okay, the Sefer, Uben Shmonat Yamin, Yimolachem Kol Zachar. Right? And for you as a Jewish people, because he's talking to Avram, Avram's already Jewish. In fact, this is the moment he becomes a Jew. Every baby boy has to be circumcised. So it's very interesting. The Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud, learns this from Avram. The Yerushalmi learns this from our Pasuk and Shmini. Now, that's an interesting question. Why do they learn? They, they clearly have a tradition there's a mitzvah to do a bris milah. So what does it mean that they learn it from two different places? Did, did somebody get it wrong? So the Torah Tamima says, who said that? The Torah Tamima says what the Fox Rebbe said, right? That the Yerushalmi is of the position that we don't learn a halacha or a mitzvah from anything before Matan Torah. Okay? The exception to that rule is... Pardon? Even Gidon it's not clear, but that's an interesting discussion. Puruvu. And the, the opinion that says the Yerushalmi believes that Puruvu was learned by Adam Arishan is because that's a mitzvah for the entire world. You know? And of course that becomes difficult because it's not one of Shev Mitzvah. So that's a whole interesting discussion. What about the Bavli? Why does the Bavli learn it from the story of Avram Avinu? What do you think? Pardon? Okay, but it's before Matan Torah, it's before Asinai. I think maybe it's more clear that like, the father is responsible for getting... Because by Avraham it actually says that the father circumcised his son. Right? You can look this up in, uh, in Lech Lecha and Parsha Tetzayim. Right? Okay. So, so what is that machlokas about? That's a whole interesting question. Right? All right. So we have four basic questions here. First question is, what's a bris? What is this? And why is it called a brit? Like, putting aside for the moment what the mitzvah of circumcision is, what does it mean that it's a brit? Right? What is a covenant? What does that mean? Okay? Third question is, fascinating halacha. This is the second halacha that we learn in our parasha. Again, interesting discussion about that. Uvayom ha-shmini yimo. And on the eighth day he shall be circumcised. Bayom afilu b'shabbat. The mitzvah of Milah occurs even if it's a mitzvah on Shabbos. Okay? So if a baby is born on Friday night, which means the first day was Shabbat, and the eighth day will be Shabbat, then in order for it to have a bris milah on the eighth day, it has to be, the bris milah has to be on Shabbat. By the way, here's an interesting trivia question. So a mother gives birth to twins. Okay? I saw this in Shuva by uh, Shir, by uh, Rabbi... Uh, I forgot, and I apologize, it's a little not to quote it by name. Um, it'll come to me, I'll put it in the WhatsApp list. Rabbi who puts that shirin from time to time, and he describes a, a Mrs. Younger, who gives birth to twins, okay? The older one and the younger one, right? So if you have two babies who are born on the same day, they both have their bris on the same day. By the way, interesting, Allah, you don't do their brises together. Even if you want to book the whole together, you do one bris, then you take the baby out, and then you do another this. Anybody know why? Anybody know why? Ein arvin simcha basimcha. You don't mix two smachot. Each baby gets its own moment. It's a fascinating idea. But okay, how could the younger, younger, haha, right? 
have a bris earlier than the older yomim. Even a few days earlier. Nope. Well, that's true in any case, but that's, yeah. Yeah, nope. Pardon? So? So imagine that the mother gives birth to twins, and the first baby, the older baby, is born, okay, um, on, on um, Friday afternoon, before, or, or right, before Shabbos, or before, sorry, before Shkia, right, when it's, or after Shkia, when it's not clear if it's Friday or Shabbos. But the next baby is born after Tzais, after the stars come out of Shabbos. So the younger baby that was born on Shabbos has a bris eight days later. But the older baby was born in between Friday and Shabbos. So it can't have the bris on Friday because it might be, Ben is a suffix, is a doubt whether that period of time between sunset and stars coming out is Friday or Shabbos. So you can't have the bris on Friday because maybe it was born on Shabbos. It's not the eighth day yet. And you can't have the bris on Shabbos because maybe it was born on Friday and you only have a bris on Shabbos if that's the eighth day. If it's the ninth day, then you push it off till Sunday, right? So the younger baby will have its bris on, 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 on Shabbos when it's supposed to, but the older baby won't have its bris till Sunday. And if Sunday is Yomtev, something that happens this year, then it won't have its bris till Monday. So you could have the older baby having a bris two days later, right? Anyway, but putting aside that trivia question, okay? Putting aside that trivia question, um, why is... Why is, why is bris milah doche Shabbos? That's an unbelievable halacha. We don't find very often that a mitzvah is done it, 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 even if there's chilol Shabbat. Okay? There's only really, you could say two, maybe even one, maybe three instances where a mitzvah is doche Shabbos. What's the obvious case of where a mitzvah... Pardon? Okay. Okay, so you have pikuch nefesh. Right? It's more on Shabbos. Better that a person should, should, should desecrate one Shabbat and be able to celebrate many. You have the Korban Tamid, Korbanot, right? The offering in the Beit Midash. But the Korban Tamid is the offering which is daily, the daily sacrifice. That's, that's, a korb, that's not an individual mitzvah. That's a mitzvah of Am Yisrael. And therefore you could say that Am Yisrael, Docha Reb Yisrael, you could say that I could understand. There's certain avodos in the base of English. I'm talking about a mitzvah that's clearly chilul Shabbos that you're allowed to do on Shabbat. There's only one other instance besides Brit Mila where that occurs. Pardon? Nope. That's, if that, you can do that with a button, not with a rice, yeah? Pardon? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. No. We said pikuach nefesh. Carbon Pesach. Carbon Pesach is Doch Shabbos. If the day of Pesach falls on Shabbat, okay, oh, sorry, on Sunday, then Erev Shabbos, Erev Pesach is Shabbos. Okay, so that happens some years that the Seder is Saturday night. You do Carbon Pesach on Shabbos. Pardon? Why? Think about this. Blowing shofar on Shabbat, okay, that's not a mitzvah. The chil, it's a chachma. But, but blowing shofar on Shabbos, we don't do. Even though the act of carrying it and the act of blowing it wouldn't be a malacha, because it's Shabbos, right? We don't, we don't do arba minim, the lulav on Shabbos, right? There's so, tefillin. 
We don't wear tefillin on Shabbos. Bris Mila we do on Shabbos. Why do we do bris Mila on Shabbos? Why is bris Mila so important that you even do it on Shabbat? And by the way, it's not just that bris Mila is important. It's that important to do on the eighth day. And there's one more detail that's worth mentioning. So, if a baby's born on, on Saturday morning, Shabbos morning, the following Shabbos will have a bris, right? And I'm allowed to circumcise the baby and do whatever's necessary, rip the bandage if necessary, even if it's not a pikoch nefesh, to, to heal the baby and to do whatever I need to do. Okay. However, there's an exception to this rule. This is a famous case in Parakabilezim Mamila in, in, in the tractate of Shabbat. What if I get to the bris mila, it's time to do the bris, and I forgot my mila knife. I forgot my mila knife back where I'm staying, my, my circumcision knife, which you need a certain type of knife, and, um, and there's no Eruv. So what do I do? Cancel the bris. Why? Because anything that you could have done before Shabbat and didn't do, that's not Docha Shabbos. And interestingly enough, the same is true by Karban Pesach. And I'll read you this halach in the Rambam. I could have read you this about bris, but it's a chance for me to mention Pesach. We're getting close to Pesach, right? Shrikat Pesach. This is the Rambam in Hilchos Karban Pesach. Where do I find Hilchos Karban Pesach? Sefer Karban, right? Okay. Hilchos Karban, Shrita Pesach, Zrikat Damo, etc. Dochin et Shabbat. Okay, you can shech the Karban Pesach on Shabbos. You have to shech the Karban Pesach on Shabbos. Because you can't shech the carbon before Shabbos, because it has a set time, and it has to be an Erev Pesach b'mo'ado. However, aval, ha-kavato, ha-vato, mi-chutz l'tchum, e'nan dochin et Shabbat, sh'arei efshar la-satan kodem ha-shabbat. But all the activities, right, like, like bringing it, bringing the lamb up to Harabayit, you know, setting up your chabura, whatever, whatever your group, whatever you have to do, that you could have done before Shabbat, that you can't do on Shabbat, because you could do it before Shabbat, right? And by the way, in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Pesach, you have to eat it, it has to be roasted. So the roasting of it, that you can't do on Shabbat. Why? Because you can offer up the carbon Pesach in the afternoon, and then you can roast it at night. Which tells me something that when there's a base of Mikdash and everybody brings a carbon Pesach, if it's carbon Pesach and Shabbos, then we're going to have a very late Seder because you have to finish roasting it before you have your Seder. Or maybe you'll do it while you're having the Magi, right? So that's interesting. What's the connection between Brit and Pesach and Shabbat? Why is Brit Mila Docha Shabbos? Okay, so again, what is a bris? Why is it called a Brit? What exactly is a Brit? Why does it uh, push off Shabbat? Okay, why is it Docha Shabbos? And why is it a mitzvah on the Father? You guys have, yeah? yeah. Um, could you say possibly, and this might connect with Brit, that another mitzvah that, uh, uh, that you can do on Shabbos is actually bringing the child into this world? Because before Shabbos it wasn't there. Now on Shabbos it is there. The more Shabbos brings the example of the chicken that lives an egg on Shabbos, and the egg wasn't there before Shabbos. Right. The egg. So the baby, uh, otherwise, you know, you might that's a phenomenal idea that I'm going to have to think about. That's a phenomenal idea. The only challenge I would suggest to think about is this is the eighth day. 
The baby is born on the first day. In fact, we can add another question since you bring that up. Why is it bris on the eighth day? Why don't you make a bris on the first day? Why are you waiting eight days? Now, by the way, what's the obvious answer to why you wait eight days? I think it's an obvious answer. Yeah? Pardon? Nope. Then you can wait ten days or six days. Nope. What, in order, if, if I've waited, if the bris is on the eighth day, what does that mean must have happened? Uh, that the baby experienced the Shabbat. Okay? And many of the Rishonim talk about this. So in other words, not only am I allowed to do a bris on Shabbat, but the fact that I can do a bris is only because the baby's experienced Shabbat. So there's obviously a connection between Shabbat and circumcision. Why isn't the law do a bris the day after the first? Pardon? And why isn't the law do a bris the day after the first Shabbos of the baby's life? Because, well, first of all, it has to be on a set day, as opposed to the day after or whenever it happens to be. That way everybody does it the second day. And second of all, there's something about the number eight. But good question, okay? So, yeah? Yeah, one second. The fact that the baby experience about wasn't the answer to the question why it's on the eighth day. That was just a by the way. Yeah? All the Jews go like really like core components of like what it means to be a Jew and like and like in terms of Shabbos and like both of the law and for a case off was like the real like um like for a case off was was massive like moment in Jewish history and Christ the law which was also a huge sign of being part of the covenant and being Jewish. So Okay, so what are you basically saying? In order to put this whole pie together, we have to do what? We have to define our terms. Now, we're not going to really do this now because we've already done this. But we have to understand what is Karban Pesach? What is Shabbat and what is Brit Milah? So, Shabbat we've talked about many times, right? Just to remind you, right? All the malachot that we don't do on Shabbat, the categories of labor that we don't do on Shabbat, at least according to Rosh produce a difference in the world. Shabbat is all about remembering that one day a week, I'm not in control. One day a week, it's not about what I make, it's about what I'm given. It's taking a pause, it's appreciating Hashem in my life, etc. Okay. Karvan Pesach. Carbon Pesach we've also spoken about. Carbon Pesach is that moment. In fact, it's interesting. We celebrate Seder the night before we become free. Remember once we talked about this? Right? The Seder should be on the 15th day of Nisan in the morning. It'd be so much easier. Because that's when we got out of Egypt. We celebrate the Seder the night before we got out of Egypt. We were still technically slaves. Right? In fact, you have to eat the Carbon Pesach by Chatzot. Right? By midnight. And the general understanding is because at midnight, the Jewish people officially became free, even though they didn't leave till the next morning. So we're making a point to celebrate the Seder when we're not free yet. So if you remember, we once spoke about this. Do you remember this? We once spoke about the idea that, that on the night of Pesach, a Jew is told, I think about this, why do we call Pesach Pesach? Because Hashem passed over Pesach. Al-Batei Mitzrayim. Hashem passed over, the, Al-Batei, passed over the Jewish homes, right? And didn't kill the Jews therein during the plague of the firstborn if they had the blood on the doorpost. In fact, what blood did they have to have on the doorpost? The dam of the Korban Besach. But if you look in the Pasuk, it says, I say to you, you people in exile, that you will come home one day and the Jewish people will yet live by your bloods, 
Not bedamech or bedamach, but bedamaich. And the commentators explain, this is not one blood, it's two bloods. It's the blood of Korban Pesach, and it's the blood of Brit Milah. When did they take the lamb that they were going to offer for the first Korban Pesach in Egypt? Anybody know? On the 10th day of Nisan. Right? By the way, what day was that of the week? Shabbos. And what do we call that Shabbat? Shabbat Agadol. Shabbat Agadol is called the Great Shabbat, not because it was the Shabbat before we got out of Egypt, because that was Shabbat we took the lamb. And you had to take the lamb, you had to tie it in front of your house. And then they had to wait three days, and only on the 14th, after three full days, did they actually shech the lamb and offer it up. And then they had to put the blood on the doorpost and eat it. So what's, going, what's that all about? So the lamb was one of the gods of, of, of Egypt. And you got you to gotta imagine what it must have been like for a Jewish slave. You know, the African-American community, quite understandably, is still struggling from the impacts of slavery. Think about it. Technically, the slaves were freed in 1865. Practically, it took many, many more decades before they began to experience greater nuances of freedom. How many, how many, how many, how many years of slavery did they actually experience? Most of the African-American slaves, the ancestors of the current African-Americans, were brought to, the, to, to America in the 1800s. Okay, the slave trade really took off with the invention of cotton and the cotton mill and whatever else was going on. You can do your history studies. So you talk about 50 years of slavery, 60 years of slavery. Jewish people were slaves for 210 years. Can you imagine what it must have been like for a Jew the day before they get out of Egypt? He has to take a lamb. The lamb was one of the gods of Egypt. It's actually the, 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 one of the gods that represents passivity. Right? That, 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 well, well, I'm not going to get into that. But, but they had to take the god of Egypt and they have to hang, they have to, they have to tie it up in front of the house. Now imagine your master is walking by, Farouk, in downtown Cairo. Right? You know what? I'll give you an easier image. You're in Mississippi. Okay? And a couple of African-American civil rights workers say they're going to they're gonna make a statement. So they take an American eagle and they hang it by a noose from their front door. And Billy Bob and his buddies are walking by. Maybe they're driving by in their pickup with the gun rack and the Confederate flag. And Billy Bob says, Baba Joe, you see what I see? And Baba Joe says, I see what you see. What are we going to do about it? Right? I'm going to give you some rights, boy. I'm going to show you some rights. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine? If, if this gets out, I'm in big trouble, right? Can, can you imagine? Seriously. They had to take the God of Egypt. They had to tie it up in front of the house. Then they had to wait three days. Then they had to shecht it. Then they had to take the blood of that God and put it on their doorposts. I mean, the courage that must have taken. The conviction, the determination. I understand the medrash, whether you accept this medrash as literal or allegorical, that four-fifths of the Jews, they weren't ready to do that. They never left Egypt. Because that's a scary and a very difficult thing to do. You know why we celebrate the night of Pesach when they were still in Egypt? Because Hashem says to the Jewish people, I'm going to take you out of slavery, but before I take you out of Egypt, you have to take yourself out of Egypt. Freedom starts here. On the night of Pesach, 
the Jewish people made a statement. They said, into this home, Egyptian gods are no longer welcome. We celebrate the Seder because we freed ourselves. I mean, there's a lot more to talk about about the Seder. That's what Pesach is. Carbon Pesach is when we decided what's really valuable. We decided who we're going to serve. It's one of the fundamental ideas in Judaism, the ability to choose. Right? We left slavery. You know, you make the bracha, shalom on the Evid. What's an Evid? What does it mean to be a servant or a slave? It means you lose your ability to choose. The Jewish people left servitude when they rediscovered the power of choice. But what's bris milah? So I want to tell you four quick ideas, things to think about. First of all, what's a brit? Hashem says to Avram, and if we had the time, we would lay this out in Makoros, but I'll just give you the ideas and you can follow up with them on your own at Shabbat. Hashem comes to Avram, He says to Avram, I'm going to give you a son. And Avram says, great. He thinks that's a righteous thing to do. I'm 99, I've been waiting, I'm finally going to earn my Baruch Hashem. And then Hashem says, right, through Yitzchak, the seed of the Jewish people will be born. I'm going to give your seed, the offspring of those people is going to enter the land of Israel. And all of a sudden, Avram says, how do I know that we're going to inherit the land? That's a crazy question. Two minutes ago, Hashem says, you're going to have a baby, you're 99 years old, no problem. The, you, the, the great, great, great grandchildren, they're going to inherit the land of Israel, that all of a sudden causes you to lack faith? Like, what does that mean? And what is the answer Hashem gives Avram? Brit ben Abtarim. His answer to him is, I'll make a Brit with you. So what's a Brit? So Salvechik talks about this. He says, what's going on here is that Avram had a fundamental misunderstanding about the relationship we have with Hashem. And the Brit is designed to correct that. Avram understood that our relationship with God is a relationship of contract. What's a relationship of contract of Jose? You do your bit, I'll do mine. So Avram was confident that he would do his bit. So if Hashem says, you're going to have a son because you're doing everything I want you to do, he was confident, I'll do my bit. But once he's talking about children and children's children and children's children, how do I know they're going to do what, what I've been doing? Maybe they won't. And Avram was quite correct. Hashem says, no, no, you don't understand. My relationship with the Jewish people is not a relationship of contract. It's a relationship of covenant. A covenant is an agreement that can never be broken. Hashem says, it will not be possible for me to break my promise to the Jewish people. There may be individual Jews who don't make it, but the Jewish people will survive forever. Now, if we were having this discussion, you know, 2,000 years ago, you might struggle with this. If we were having this discussion 100 years ago, you might struggle with this. But today... After 2,000 years since the second Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, and 3,000 years since we got out of Egypt, and we're still sitting here, we're sitting here back in Eretz Israel, we're speaking the language that our forefathers, but it's unbelievable. So this is part of a covenant that Jewish people will never be destroyed. So what's a Brit Milah? A Brit Milah is an affectation of that covenant. There's something that happens when I'm born that can never be undone. A Jew is a Jew no matter what he wants, no matter what he does. That's something that's a gift. It's given to me. Maybe some people think it's a punishment. You can't wake up in the morning and say, I'm not Jewish. You can decide not to keep mitzvot. That's a different discussion. But you'll always be Yisrael afal pishachata Yisrael. Right? A Jew, even if he makes the greatest mistakes, if you convert to Catholicism, you're still a Jew. Okay? So the Brit is a covenant because this, whatever this symbolizes is something that can never be broken. Okay? 
So now the question is, so what is it actually we're doing? And why are we doing it in this space, which is so hidden? Why don't we make a sign on our forehead, right? So first of all, the Chinuch, the Sefer HaChinuch, has an unbelievable line. It's worth, it's worth quoting. The Sefer HaChinuch says, um, he says three things. First of all, he says, Ot kavua begufam lahavdilam there is a physical mark on us to differentiate us from the rest of the world. We should know we're different. Different, by the way, we've talked about this before, it doesn't mean better, it doesn't mean worse, it means different. Different should mean special. Whether you know you're special when you're different is another discussion, but okay. Then he says, Why is it on the Avermin? Why is it in that place? Because that's how we create a future. This is the mark that we're different and that we're, and that we're supposed to be thinking about the future. And the third thing he says, which is the most fascinating to me, is, And the completion of whatever was created is given to us. And Hashem didn't create us complete, we're created imperfect. Just like we have to complete the act of creation, we have to finish the job. We're not completely created as Jews until we have a bris milah. So we have to create and continue and complete the creation of ourselves. In other words, we're in a partnership. And the fact that we're born imperfect challenges us to realize that Hashem gives us an imperfect world. Because Hashem wants us to be partners with Hashem in creating the perfect world every day. Right? Okay? Um, in fact, why is the Brit connected to Shabbat in so many different levels? Because the Brit Milah is to the body as Shabbat is to time. Think about this for a minute, right? What does Shabbat challenge us to think about? Shabbat challenges us to think about how we spend our time. What do we do with our time? Is the time that we're given, time is the great commodity of life. People like to say time is money. Time is not money. Time is life. Bavitcher Rebbe used to say that. He sit on Shabbat and say, what did I do with the time? I cannot think of a Shabbat where that is a more valuable thing to do than this Shabbat. You're sitting down the Shabbos and say to yourself, we just went through all of Chorosman. I'm three quarters of the way through probably the most, certainly one of the most incredible years I've ever had. What have I done with it? What did I do with this gift? Shabbat challenges me, not only regarding the week that passed, but the week that's coming. Can I do better next week? Right? So the Brit on the body is the same idea. The Brit on the body says, this body is a gift. It's a loan to me. What do I do with it? Does it become a vehicle for making the world a better place? Or is it a waste of time? Does the world become better because of the physical me? Do I make a difference in the world? Am I a partner with Hashem in creating the world? Or is it a waste of time? Personally, I think that's why bris milah is docha Shabbos. Because it's the same idea. It's the beginning of a journey. And I'm going to leave aside, we'll talk about it on Shabbat because it's getting late. Um, the last question, which is why the mitzvah is on the av and not on the aim. If you remind me, uh, tomorrow night we're at the tish. I have an interesting idea we'll get to. But pasach right? A Brit is basically the entry of a human being into the covenant of Judaism. That a child begins a journey that we're born imperfect, 
and it's good that we're imperfect because it makes us meaningful and it gives us a partnership with Hashem, that the greatest challenge in this physical world is our physical desires, and therefore that's the place where we realize we have to work to perfect ourselves, right? By the way, not to do away with them, without getting into the obvious symbolism, the Brit Milah has a limited function, right? It cuts away a foreskin. In fact, um, I think it's the Barbanel who says that, that the foreskin is, is, is sort of a, a barrier, and so this removes the barrier, just like my job is to remove the barrier between me and Hashem, between me and Mitzvah, between me and the world, and whatever else is going on, right? So that's what a Brit Milah is all about. A Brit Milah represents the fact that we're here to perfect the world, that we want to be partners in making a better world. That in order to do that, we have to control our desires, channel our desires to healthy spaces, right? And it's something that's a part of who we are. It, 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 it takes its journey through Shabbat, because Shabbat is when we think about all these things, among other things. And that totality is this, this Parsha uh, of Tazriah, of potential and future and birth. That's a little food for thought.